Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark, and I'm very pleased to be rejoined today by Ryan Fonder. Now, Ryan uh, is at the Los Angeles Times. Um, uh, what's the name of your newsletter, Ryan? It's called The Wide Shot. The Wide Shot. It comes Shot. out every Tuesday. Wide Shot comes out every Tuesday. Uh, I read it it's every free. Tuesday. It's great. Uh, sign up for it. Um, and uh, I, I love having Ryan on because, uh, you know, it's always, it's always good to get somebody uh, who's, who's out in L.A. on the show, you know. Uh, be, be, being based here in Dallas, it makes things hard sometimes to really see what's going on right. on the you ground. Get to talk to us cultural people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's talk. All right. So the big news this week uh, is probably the Netflix earnings call. I mean, there's other news going. We got a lot of stuff to talk sure. about this week, but uh, the, the the Netflix earnings call seems to be the big thing. And I'll be honest, when I saw the headlines, I thought, oh, this is good news for Netflix. Netflix says they they added 5.9 million new subscribers uh you know their their uh revenue is is stable they're they're actually like slightly more profitable now um uh but the market did not seem to respond in kind uh what did i what did i miss in the um uh the 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 reaction or what should i have expected from the reaction to the numbers here yeah, I mean, Wall Street reactions are always uh, a little bit of a puzzle, or sometimes a little bit of a puzzle, sometimes it's not all that obvious. But this time it looked like, you know, there was a little bit of softness in the revenue growth. So despite adding uh, almost 6 million new subscribers globally uh, for Netflix during the second quarter, their revenue was just a tad under uh, Wall Street estimates going into the earnings report. So I think what you're seeing there seem to be like, okay, there's a lot more subscribers coming on because, you know, partly because of the uh, password sharing crackdown. But that didn't necessarily translate into a ton of new revenue yet. I mean, definitely, definitely a bump, but not, not maybe as much as uh, some people were, were hoping for. Well, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, if you look at the, uh, the, what, the, the figure uh, that, you know, folks like to focus on here, the ARPU, the average revenue, Per user, uh, Netflix has a different name for it: average revenue per member, or something like that. Something um, like that, yeah. yeah. But it uh, all means the same thing. All means the same thing. Uh, you, what you saw was more, again, more subscribers, but a lower ARPU for uh, basically the s- static earnings. Which uh, I mean, I guess is kind of surprising, but also makes some sense since what you know, it's kind of isn't this more or less what people expected to happen when they uh, when they started crackdown the crackdown on password sharing. Yeah, and also when they added the ad sharing or the ad supported tier, you know, because the ad supported tier you have a you have a lower uh, monthly fee, but you also have uh, advertising revenue coming in. So maybe Netflix's ad revenue hasn't quite caught up to, or might be missing out on from the lower uh, monthly fees. Uh, it's also worth noting that um, Netflix has ditched its basic plan now. It's basic without ads. Uh, it's basic uh, ad-free plan, which I believe is like nine ninety nine a month or something. Like that. Yeah, uh, I mean, for new members, uh, for mo- new members and returning members, if you're still if you're already signed on to that, you can keep playing for it, paying for it. But yeah, yeah I mean, that really was one of uh, I, I, I've talked about this before on other shows, but it really is a uh, fantastic deal that is kind of subsidized by a lot of free money and other stuff that I don't know that they they have the wherewithal for anymore, which is this this basic ad-free $10 a month plan. So many movies, so many new shows. Um, it, it made some sense. But, you know, I, I was reading uh, I was reading that the average revenue per user uh, for the 
ad supported plan once you in, in, so there's the you know seven seven bucks a month per month or whatever but also the advertising revenue came out to something like fifteen dollars a month sixteen dollars a month it's crazy mm-hmm. yeah which is about you know it's what you would hope for it's, it's in, in some cases we've seen that with other companies too where their arpu actually increases from having the advertising at the lower uh, subscription tier so uh clearly uh netflix is succeeding in getting more people in the door uh or getting more people to come back and certainly the the the, the great news for netflix is that there wasn't a whole lot of cancellations when they started cracking down on the passwords that was that was definitely a risk because you, know, you hear all these people online saying how dare they uh not allow me to share my password with my uh, ex-girlfriend uh, who I haven't lived with in in three years, um, or or share or share it with my in laws or or whatever. Um, shout out to the in laws out there. But the uh, there just wasn't a lot of cancellation. They just didn't didn't really see that. That's what they said in their uh, shareholder letter. The lesson, as always, is the internet is not real life. Don't listen to people on Twitter ever. How so. dare you burst my <laughs> Barbenheimer bubble? <laughs> internet is absolutely real life. We will. We'll get we'll in one get case that. only. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, all yeah. right. So uh, this because I, I am I am actually really I am fascinated and like intellectually and ideologically uh, obsessed with the the uh, the argument that folks were making that like, oh, this is actually bad. But it's bad business for Netflix to cut off freeloaders because reasons. And I could never figure out what the reasons were. I could. What is the argument for saying, well, if we're not, we're not. If if you if you uh, a freeloader say I am not going to pay for uh, a subscription, so I'm just going to steal the thing for free. How is that? Why why on earth would Netflix care? Either way, it's zero dollars in revenue. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of an offshoot of that old internet idea of information just wants to be free, content wants to be free. You know, it's just the whole thing. It's sort of a 20-year-old idea uh, at this point, um, but it was bad business. It was a terrible idea. And Netflix was happy, I think, for a while to uh, just have people just get addicted, just get on get on that joint, like just just getting the getting some content for free, sure. You know, share it with your with your in-law, share it with your your neighbor. Uh, that's just gonna get people addicted to uh, Netflix stuff. But at some at a certain point, like it's the classic, it's the classic idea of you get everybody in the door, you get everybody loving your content, and then you jack up the price, or then you force people to pay eight dollars a month or something like that. So this is probably the least surprising move that Netflix ever could have made. Yeah, I mean, content uh, content does not want to be free, but content does seem to want to be ad supported. I, I again, the thing, the the number that jumps out at me the most is the average revenue per user of fifteen or sixteen bucks a month for the ad supported tier, uh, which is frankly higher than I thought it would be. I, I did not, I I was I was a little surprised um, by that. Uh, this the the ad tiers do seem to be kind of the future of the streaming model, right? Yeah, or, you know, they're, they're the present. There's, uh, there's certainly what's happening right now, um, and I'm sure as uh, as as Netflix goes, so goes the rest of the industry. And they've already, you know, they've already done it with um, with Disney Plus and HBO Max. Now Max, sorry, old habits. Yeah, but uh, everyone everyone seems to have a ad supported tier now. Ads. That's what. That's that's how they get you. The ads. 
Uh, all right, so let's talk. Uh, let's let's shift gears slightly here from streaming to theatrical. Big weekend in the theaters uh, this week. You've, we've got a uh, huge opening for Barbie, um, and a, a, I mean, I I I am I am shocked by some of the numbers we're seeing coming in. But also a huge weekend for Oppenheimer. And then I, it looks like we're going to have another huge weekend for Sound of Freedom, the independent film from Angel Studios uh, about child trafficking. It looks like, you know, I, I assuming that we don't see um, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 fall completely off a cliff, that movie will probably make another 20 million bucks this weekend. I like I can't remember the last time we had uh, four movies primed to make more than 20 million bucks in the same weekend. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, and it's funny because... This has become a cultural moment just because there are there's more than one movie uh, in a theater at the same time, and it's there are two really big movies that are brand new and targeting a pretty different audience. But this used to be basically every summer weekend at the at the box office. Like uh, I can't remember. I saw a, what was that article? What opened like against the Dark Knight? Mamma Mia! Yeah, Mamma Mia! This is I mean this is a perfect example of how you know, this industry used to work like counter programming that's not a new idea but it is hilarious that it's just been memed uh to death uh just with, with all the t-shirts and everything uh so what are we what what are the ind- first indications looking at this is gonna go we're, we're taping this on friday just pulling back the curtain slightly we're taping this on friday so we have some idea of what the the box office weekend is going to look like. Um, I mean, my my sense from the I I, uh, I had thirty minutes to kill yesterday, so I popped into an Alamo Draft House and just sat at the bar and had uh, a drink. And while I was sitting there, I saw no fewer than three different giant groups of women clad all in pink come in to take photos in front of the Barbie standee, which led me to instantly understand that this movie is going to make I don't know one hundred fifty million dollars this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's not out. It's not out of the question. The twenty-two, I think it was twenty-two million dollars from Thursday previews. I mean, that's like Marvel movie territory, mm-hmm. right? Um, so easily, easily above a hundred million. Um, definitely looking at one twenty. I mean, maybe it's front loaded. I don't know. It seems like the audience response is going to be is going to be pretty strong here. So I don't know. When I saw when I first saw the predictions of 140, 140 million, I thought that's maybe a little irresponsible considering the the wackiness we've seen with the uh, audience tracking lately, but we'll see. It's, it's, it could do it. Do it. Do we, are we, we are still in kind of a weird place for audience tracking, right? Because I do feel like we mm-hmm. get a lot of uh, uh, projections that either overshoot or undershoot by eight figures, uh, like on a, on a fairly regular basis. And I, you know, look, that's always been, part of the part of the box office game, right? It's always been kind of a guessing game, but I do feel like things have gotten especially wonky since the pandemic, uh, trying to figure out the behavior of audiences. Yeah, and the comps are kind of off too. And I, I pointed this out a number of times, but a lot of the stuff that you've seen come out uh, recently kind of underperformed tracking is all kind of targeting the same audience. You got Mission Impossible, which uh, is a good film, targeting adult men. Um, you know, open slightly below tracking, and uh, Indiana Jones and Dial of Destiny definitely coming in on the light side, uh, especially relative to his budget. Similar audience there, uh, and then before that, you had the Flash, Transformers: Rise of the Beast. It was just like a lot of kind of male-oriented things. So it's really not surprising at all that if you have a movie that 
is uh, is primarily for women, young women, but like definitely across the board, looks like it's going to take off with a lot of demos. And you just market the hell out of it. Like, no kidding, it's gonna it's gonna do huge business. What do you do? You, uh... You know, I was just talking about how the Internet is not real life. The Internet is is not real. And I I do believe that mostly. But I do think that there is a a modest meme factor going on with especially the Barbie stuff. Um, You know, I I do feel like the the opportunity to play dress up and go out and have a nice time with your lady friends. uh, You know, it's not that that's not how I roll, but I'm not I'm not a, Mm -hmm. you know woman between the age of 20 and 50 so like I, i'm not you know the target demo here um that that does it does seem to be playing a real role in driving uh audiences to theaters right yeah i mean it really seems so i mean i i you you see all the talk about people signing up for double features amc put out a press release saying that twenty thousand of its uh, Stubbs members had already purchased uh, advanced tickets for double features. And that was last week. Uh, NATO is really uh, the National Association of Theater Owners, not that other NATO, is really uh, interested in this phenomenon. And yeah, the double features probably represent a relatively small portion of the box office, if you do the math. But it does contribute to this sense of like, there is something going on here and people are talking about it me just kind of hanging out just last night just got a glass of wine with with my wife um in in the evening you know one of my friends walked by and was talking about how they had just figured out their barbenheimer plan for the weekend so that's definitely a thing definitely a thing it's been a while since the the experience of going to a movie theater was this kind of big cultural event. And I don't mean I, I kind of exclude the Marvel stuff from this because the Marvel movies are doing a very specific thing, um, you know, kind of kind of unto themselves. I, I just mean the idea of like we're going to the mo- we're making it a we're making a point of going to the movies. We're going to find the best presentation of Oppenheimer that we can find. You know, I'm trying to track down a 1570 uh, IMAX screen there's only 19 of them in the country you know where am i gonna go see like it's actually really uh it's heartening uh in a way and like i I, frankly uh, a real i think suggestion to hollywood that like people are tired of a lot of seeing the same old thing over and over again we got two original movies out this week they're about to do huge huge business yeah i mean original and designed for that big screen experience too i mean no one is is not to beat a dead horse about the the Nolan thing, but I mean all the talk about like you got to see it in IMAX or seventy millimeter or IMAX seventy millimeter, whichever your choice may be. I mean, there's only a few presentations of that. David Pollan tweets something that the Chinese theater was trying to add screenings at six o'clock in the morning, which is two thirty in the morning. I saw a two thirty in the morning showing. And I'm sure they'll be packed. I mean, this is this this is L.A. This is a you know movies. This is a movie town. No question about it. But that is that's pretty extraordinary uh, to see to see people just kind of. You know, we don't have lines out the door anymore because of advanced ticket sales. But like that kind of need to see this weekend in the in the craziest format possible. 
Yeah, somebody sent me a uh, a press release. There's a Cinemark near me that has the the uh, IMAX 70 millimeter. You know, again, one of the 19 theaters in the country or, or in the world or whatever that that has that system. And they were adding, you know, 6:30 a.m. showings. And this is, I mean, this is in Dallas. It's not Los Angeles or Manhattan. Yeah. Um, yeah, Dallas is a pretty good movie going town, but it's not it's not that good. And uh, it's wild, wild stuff. I mean, the numbers for for Oppenheimer are crazy. I'm seeing I'm seeing, again, estimates of in the 60 to 70 million dollar range this weekend, which would be huge. I, yeah, like, be I, massive for a movie I mean, like this for a three hour historical drama. A lot of it's in black and white. Uh, yeah. It's not a really not, not a lot of huge stars. In the, I mean, Matt Damon's in it, but like, yeah, it's yeah. not. Well, it's got it's got Damon and Robert Downey Jr., but they're not the leads. They're not the no. they're not the guy who's on the poster. Uh, Killian Murphy is, and like I I, I mean I again it's uh, you know that would be if it opened to sixty million dollars that's fifty percent better than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did, which is a crazy idea just you know for a for a movie like this. It also uh, just speaks to like with certain directors you know we talk about brands and ip and everything else kind of outweighing everything uh, the, the, the star power and the quality of the movie and everything but if, you, if there are certain directors filmmakers whose movies are events nolan's one of them tarantino's definitely one of them um you know, it's just it's and having something having something new and something exciting that people are talking about you know it's 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 that experience it's the the idea that your teeth are going to be shattered by sitting through the uh, the, ex- the explosions or what and, and whatnot <laughs> it is i don't know it's, yeah it's it's wild it's, yeah and then, yeah and then there is there is another story at the box office uh the last couple of weeks here we've got sound of freedom which again is is an interesting very strong word of mouth um uh hit uh you know i i uh, I went to go see it in a theater this week because I figured I should uh, have some idea what people are talking about since it's uh, so mm-hmm. popular. And uh, I want to I want to set the scene here for folks who don't know who don't know about this. So at the end of the movie, uh, Jim Caviezel comes on the screen and he does a thank you for coming to the movie theater speech, you know, of the sort we've seen a lot of in front of movies. Right. We see it. You saw it in front of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, uh, the, the Dungeons and Dragons movie. The cast is there saying thanks for coming to the theaters. This is how you should see movies, how they're meant to be seen. Uh, but it, this this came at the end of Sound of Freedom, um, and it's Jim Caviezel on the screen. He said, "Thank you for coming. This is the best way to see a movie in you know uh, in a in a in a large room with other people. Uh, we're all we're all here together. Uh, we don't want anyone to not be able to see this movie because they can't afford it. So we're going to give you a chance to pay it forward. Uh, QR code's going to come on the screen, and if you feel so inclined, you want to help somebody who who can't afford to see the movie." Come see it, scan the code, buy a ticket, we'll get it to them. And I swear to God, hand to God, I saw a woman who was who was exiting the theater turn around when he started talking, watch him. When the QR code came up, she pulled out her phone, scanned it, and as best as I could tell from two or three rows back, bought a ticket. I, I've never seen anything like that before in a theater. Um, it's it's absolutely wild. Uh, yeah. uh, is there is there is there any chatter about this sort of this surprise or, uh, you know, what what do people make of? It's, I mean, it is the biggest, other than the Barbenheimer stuff, it is the biggest story at the box office right now. Um, and I think a lot of people are sort of baffled by it in, in a way um, and sort of trying to figure out, just like explain away the phenomenon a little bit. And I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions about how much of the box office is this kind of pay it forward 
dynamic. Uh, you know, there's with with movies that are faith based or faith based adjacent. Uh, there's the whole group buying phenomenon where people will buy out a whole theater for people to see it. So I'm sure there's some of that, but it does seem like it's an organic thing in a lot in a lot of ways. Like there is definitely a lot of word of mouth here. There's kind of an underserved audience element to it, um, and but I, I but I can't dismiss it. You know, we we can't dismiss it as just kind of a as one of these sort of cause type of films because you know just the the week it came out that monday just anecdotally like my son's um my 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 son's nanny came in the house and the first thing she started talking about was that she had seen this movie called sound of freedom and like what is this um and was very moved by it so there definitely seems to be a real groundswell here yeah Totally. I, I I mean, again, I've never seen anything like it in the theater. Yeah. People literally people literally buying tickets for strangers to go see this movie that they were um, so moved by, which is, uh, you know, again, it's a it's a testament to the power of theaters. Uh, mm. Let's see. All right. So what else is going on? Speaking of theaters, uh, we've got strike news here. Um, uh, the studios are starting uh, to pull releases uh, just before we started talking uh, A24 announced that they are pushing pushing back the release date of Problemista, which is was going to be one of their uh, September, October uh, uh, award season uh, type films, or I think maybe August. I can't remember when it's going to come out. Point is, they're pushing it back. Um, the uh, mm. Luca Guadagnino uh, uh, film um, uh, Challengers is getting pushed back. The uh, the uh, AKA the Zendaya tennis threesome movie getting getting pushed back. Um, uh, and Warner Brothers is now kind of hinting, uh, well, we might have to push back Dune 2, you know, if the, if the people aren't here to promote it. Uh, what does, what does the rest of the year look like in terms of release strategy? Are we going to see, uh, an empty September, October, November, December again, like we have the last couple of years, just because studios are too afraid to put things out without promotion? I don't know about empty, but you're definitely going to see some stuff shuffle. I mean, you need, especially with movies that aren't very IP driven or don't have a brand or don't have a, a sequel sort of fueling its interests. Like you need Zendaya walking the red carpet. You need like pretty people talking to the press and posing for photographs and doing TV spots and, and all of that, you know, especially, especially for smaller films. It's, it's really essential to the publicity machine. So it's not, it's not surprising at all that things are starting to, to move, especially on the indie front. Um, I do think it sort of speaks to this issue that um, I've been pushing back on a lot, which is that people saying this sort of Wall Street brain of like, actually, the studios are happy about the strike because they're able to save money on production because they're, they're able to, to cut out all their writer deals. And there might be some truth to that. But the fact is that this strike is really, really going to hurt everybody in the industry like the studios um like stuff's just not getting done and studios like can cut revenue or cut costs all they want but they have to bring in revenue and theaters are a huge way as we've seen they're an essential part of the equation for uh, for legacy media companies to uh, build the profits well i mean i, I the, the people i feel 
you know, worse for the, the, the folks who are stuck in the middle here. You've got your theater employees and theater owners who are looking at essentially the second a second covid like shutdown uh, in in movie releases, not quite as stark, perhaps, but still pretty, pretty bad. Um, you're looking at, uh, you know, folks in folks in supporting industries. You know, the I have a friend who does closed captions and he's like, we're maybe going to get laid off like I because yeah. we don't have we don't have movies to close caption. Uh, I like I, I think it's I, I mean, you know, I understand that that labor discussions are difficult and everybody wants to get everything. And, you know, the, the studios don't want to give up precedent setting deals and all that. But uh, after having just lived through uh, an un an unexpected disaster in the form of covid, it really feels like we're rushing towards another self-inflicted one. Yeah, I mean, we saw Barry Diller saying that basically it's gonna it's gonna destroy the business um, for, for for and have a lot of long term ripple effects. Um, the when you talk to people who are below the line crew workers in IATSE, um, you know, just writing a big story about this now actually uh, that I'll publish soon is that the um, is that generally when you talk to hairdressers and set designers, they're definitely supportive of strike and the writers and the, and the actors and what they're demanding. They're all facing the same problems. Uh, on the flip side, like, they are hurting. Like, they are having to go to the act, actors fund or these various funds that, um, that, that, that support people who are out of work for a long time in the business. Like, it's not easy to live in someplace like, like Los Angeles and not work for six months. Unless your parents are rich, and that's like a whole other issue with uh, entertainment and access, and diversity, and the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a uh, it's it's crazy out there. I mean, to the extent that now uh, there was a big story this week um, uh, about Universal literally cutting cutting down uh, tree shade to to you know burn the burn the protesters out, burn the burn the uh, the picketeers out. What was that all about? So there's no real way to know. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, intentionality. I, this feels silly to even say it out loud, but uh, but uh, it, it's 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 it was kind of the most LA thing to happen. You had a ninety degree plus heat wave uh, during the summer. Sun's blazing down, and people are going out on strike. And it's the it's it's the Universal Corner, like where where that picket's happening, is one of the hottest. Uh, one of the hottest places that you could pick it um, in in LA. So the fact that this tree cover came down it became kind of a meme. It became kind of a, a, a point of of controversy, and people actually came out and picket lines. Like I saw one woman come out wearing like a wearing like a a, 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 a kind of a tree crown on her head with a sign that said "Never Forget," um, and it was just it just became this whole thing. And the city controller said they were going to investigate it because um, apparently they're, the, 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 who, whoever was responsible for trimming the trees hadn't taken out permits for that location in like three years. Um, Universal says it was all just a big misunderstanding. They do annual tree trimming um, to sort of avoid the safety problems when the winds come through. So. I guess so that the, the the tree branches don't get knocked down and destroy cars and stuff. But uh, man, the timing of that it, it could, couldn't have been couldn't have been worse. Couldn't have looked worse. It's, yeah, 
And Universal, I, I think I saw that Universal did actually set up tents. They out, did. Uh, outside. They were like, ah, we, we messed up. We, me- we went a little too far this time. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we messed up trying to burn out the, uh, the, the, the protesters. But, uh, you know, and so the, so the WGA was able to declare victory, at least on that one. Yeah. What do you, I, just as, a, as an outside, or as an on the ground but outside observer, what, what, do you, what do you think the odds are of this getting settled anytime here in the next uh, few months? I mean, I, I get the sense we're in for a long shutdown. The, th- the word I keep hearing is December. Whereas I, you know, if you asked me a few weeks ago, the word I was hearing then was November. So we just keep getting pushed back four weeks at a time, I guess. I, I, I don't know. But like, if this goes on through the holidays, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a big problem. Yeah. It's not, uh, not, not ideal. Uh, all right. Uh, as you, as you know, I like to close these interviews by asking if there's anything I should have asked. If you think there's anything folks should know uh, about, uh, what's going on in the world of, uh, the business of showbiz. What's what's up? Yeah, you know, you ask me this question every time, so I should probably be more prepared for it. <laughs> I don't have anything right now. I'm trying to. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's fine. It's I mean, fine. I guess have you guys talked about the. Have uh, you guys talked about the the Bob Iger stuff and all all that? We can talk about Bob Iger. What's going? What's going on? Yeah. So Disney is looking to to. Sp- Possibly sell off portions of the empire. Bob Iger's in spin-off mode. What's what's happening there? Well, I, what I what I what I think it, what I was thinking about most recently was this you know idea of who's going to play the leadership role in the strike situation. Like in the past, you had sort of like the Lou Wasserman type of elder statesman that would come through and uh, bring the sides together uh, during a strike and hammer a deal and. Yeah, you know, even five, three years ago, you would assume that person would be Bob Iger, but he kind of stepped in it in that CNBC interview where he talked about uh, how the, the writer's demands were, were unrealistic or ex- you know, not realistic, he said, technically. But, uh, but yeah, he's kind of he's kind of in hot water over, over that and have him do a little damage control. So it can't be him right away. Um, he could still totally swoop in. You know, once things kind of tamp down a little bit in terms of the rhetoric, but now it's like, okay, is 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 Netflix going to be leading the way in terms of determining when this ends? Because um, right now they're doing, you know, like everybody, they're hurting from the strike, but they're the ones whose stock prices is, is is still climbing. So I don't know. That's kind of my big question. Is there any? I, I know this is uh, this is something that the 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 folks on the side of the the actors and the writers are constantly asking, and it seems like the answer is always no. But is there any chance of splitting off the AMPTP into smaller, uh, you know, picking off uh, Warner Brothers or something like that and making a deal with them, uh, or or does it look like the producers and the studios are going to stick together throughout? Well, for now, it's a united front, of course, but. Uh... You know, it, I mean, it would be a very extreme circumstance to have you know, Netflix break off and be like, actually, here's everything you want, uh, writers and yeah. uh, actors, and we can c- resume business without the without the rest of the studios. I mean, that's a thing that has been floated that could could potentially happen. Um, I'm not hearing any like actual rumblings of that happening yet, but yeah. uh, that would yeah, be, it definitely be seems to be a lot of wish casting from what yeah, I, yeah, yeah. From, yeah. A lot of like, well, this would be great if this did happen, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't see the, I don't see the studios, uh, you know, cracking on that front. No, 
No, not anytime soon. Anyway, maybe if it goes into next summer, that would be, that would be something to think about. If it goes into next summer, we might as well just shut Hollywood down forever. Because <laughs> I like I I just don't understand uh, how how everyone would survive. Um, all right. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks again for being on the show. Always love having you on. Uh, author of the Wide Shot newsletter at the Los Angeles Times. Uh, free newsletter. Go sign up for it. It's great. I'll have a link to it in the email. Uh, Ryan, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Sonny. Talk to you later. Uh, I, again, I, my name is Sonny Bunch. I'm culture editor at The Bulwark, and I will be back next week with another episode of The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. We'll see you guys then. Mm-hmm.